Hey, hello, welcome to another Ask Wrexham podcast. I'm Mark Griffiths from Wrexham AFC, and I'll be trying to answer your questions. Ask Wrexham, like I said, is a wonderful channel of communication we managed to open up with fans during the Wrexham player commentaries. Please join us whenever Wrexham play. We'll be there. Um, it's great because... It draws people in to ask all manner of questions and the problem is we have to comment it on the game and we don't get round to so many of them. Plus, some are so superb, they deserve a bigger audience. So this is the weekly podcast where we go through the ones we've received in the last week and uh, give some more detailed answers. You can hear a noise in the background. That's my co-host, Laszlo, who joined me last time uh, that we did Ask Wrexham. So I don't know whether it's because... He loves this format, or whether it's just because I I coincidentally record these podcasts when I'm about to feed him. Laszlo's a cat, by the way, not a prisoner. So anyway, he's wandering around behind the camera. He's doing a bit of techie stuff. He may join me in a moment. Be prepared. First question, Danny Bronson. And it's a, an excellent question. We've had a, a few times in different configurations. So he says, can I get confirmation that the FA Trophy is different from the FA Cup? And while promotion is the only real worry, we don't care about the trophy. And we do and we do care more about the World Cup. All oh, right, I misread that before. Right. I think this d- deserves a, a proper explanation here. So the FA Cup and the FA Trophy are knockout competitions. Danny, I know you're in Canada. I, I think in... North America, they'd be known as bracket competitions, where basically you have a draw and then the winners of each game go through to play the winners of another game. The slight difference there, as I understand it, is that usually a bracket in North America would be something which is sort of pre-decided. That can happen in football, but not very often. Uh, so certainly in British football it tends to be all the names are drawn out randomly now the differences between them and whether the World Cup's more important oh gosh this is going to get very nutty now and our priorities yeah firstly absolutely right number one priority 100% is to get back into the football league so promotion 100% our number one priority we have been in the National League for a long time and we need to get out we can't grow if we don't, except the remarkable growth we've just done. Laszlo's giving me the skunk eye now. He's quite right, lad. Um, but we can't really build up as a team until we promote it. Secondly, right, the FA Cup is the oldest cup competition in the world. In fact, it predates league competition. It really is venerable. Interestingly, next oldest is the Welsh Cup. Uh, which Wrexham uh, dominated for long stretches of our history. We're now not allowed to play in it. Ask me an ask question next week. Uh, Wrexham about that, and I'll, I'll go into it. Um, so basically, the FA Cup is a massive, massive thing in Britain, but the changing landscape of world football has devalued it. So it used to be, you know, when I was a kid, and going through, I would say, too, like the 90s, oh, my gosh, uh, the FA Cup was huge. The FA Cup final was a massive cultural thing 
you know, in the old days when you didn't have wall-to-wall television coverage of football, it was a huge day that the BBC and ITV, the two main broadcasters, would start their coverage at nine in the morning and have all sorts of novelty stuff. The sort of things we take for granted now, but in those days just didn't happen. It was that one day of the year and it all built up to this huge, huge match. And the names of star players in cup finals is venerated amongst football fans. It certainly used to be the case. You know, everybody would talk about the 1952 Matthews final, where Stanley Matthews, very famous England player, uh, had an amazing game and, and turned it around and won the cup for Blackpool, despite the fact that another Blackpool player, Stan Mortensen, scored a hat-trick. Matthews was the player who made it all possible, and so it's Matthews who's remembered. Or the White Horse final, the very first final after Wembley was built in 1921, when they allowed far too many people in, there were about 200,000 people in there, and the fans were just surging onto the pitch. And a, a policeman on a white horse patrolled the perimeter of the pitch, keeping people off the pitch, and the game was played in those circumstances. So there's huge kudos and heritage and mythologising around the FA Cup also because there can be shocks Wrexham beating Arsenal probably the biggest shock in the history of the FA Cup it's on one of the greatest games video that I put out a couple of weeks ago if you want to have a look at it um, but yeah people people can refer to incidents in the FA Cup from, from years ago however the money is in the Champions League and the big teams no longer value the FA Cup so they tend to rotate their players quite heavily in the early stages which obviously devalues this because you don't get all the star players playing necessarily different managers tend to have different attitudes to this it also means sometimes a cup upset is devalued a little Uh, you know we beat Man United but it was their kids because the manager thought they'd be good enough to beat you know whoever so that's a bit of a shame as well Um, but Wrexham take it seriously and you can see this in Phil Parkinson's team selections although there is a really good question coming up on that I'll address in a moment about the Farnborough game um, because you know we drew Coventry in the third round if we'd drawn well I mean firstly a Premier League team at home the way we're playing at home we might fancy our chances of adding a, a great day to the club's history that's motivation enough secondly um we get drawn away to a Premier League team in the FA Cup they distribute a bigger percentage of the money to the away teams than they do in the league which means that a small away team going to a big club makes a financial killing it may well be on on TV as well if I give you an example Exeter are a side who I would say traditionally may be a little smaller than Wrexham but they are in the Football League rather we're not so to be fair um, they drew Manchester United when they were a non-league team. They, they they yo-yoed between the league and the National League. And they managed to draw nil-nil at Exeter. It was shown on TV, so they got lots of money out of that. And then because they drew, of course, they went to Manchester United and played at Old Trafford in front of 77,000 people and got a big cut of that. Plus, that was on TV too. So it was estimated, that, and I'm sure it was about 20 years ago, that they made a million pounds just out of that one tie. Well, TV money is a lot greater now. So there's there's a potential for glory. There's a potential for money. The FA Trophy, now, that's a different matter. The FA Trophy is a competition for teams in Wrexham's league and the leagues below, apart from amateur teams. 
so we're a very big fish in the FA Trophy. We've got a decent record in it. We've won it once. We've lost twice at Wembley in the finals, including Bromley last year. We've been in the quarterfinals a couple of times as well. It's not as important um, at all. Although a lot of people would say, just just throw the game, just don't bother. You know, a lot of Wrexham fans would say that promotion's all that matters. I think it depends on the circumstances. If you pick a team which is quite strong, you are in danger of tiring them out later in the season. If you have a run in the cup, it will mean games will be called off and have to be rearranged because the FA Trophy games are generally on Saturdays. Um, I, but I would also argue momentum is very important in the sport. If you're winning and, and you're confident, you keep that going. I certainly think that's where Wrexham are at the moment. Oh, I really... is yeah. I don't like making predictions, but here goes. I really wouldn't be surprised to see Phil Parkinson, especially if we beat Coventry, pick a very weakened side against Scunthorpe and we lose. Even though Scunthorpe aren't going well. Because he wants to protect players. Um, sometimes managers will rotate their squads quite heavily and then in the latter stages take it seriously as well. There was one famous instance in 2012 when Wrexham played, got to the third round of the Cup and did brilliantly. We played Brighton away and drew. We then lost at home to them on penalties. Um, Andy Morell was the manager then. And frankly, I think he knew what he was doing. He picked a very weakened FA team in the FA Trophy. And we lost at home to Hinkley Town, which is a very... Was it Hinkley United? We're a very small team. Um, I think he was fully aware his team was trying to win the title his team had had a gruelling run in the FA Cup which which it did very well and he, he knew let, let, let's not worry too much about this competition uh, Dean Keats had a similar attitude quite often um, if you look down the A to Z of Wrexham players you, you will find some players who just got one or two appearances and they were in the FA Trophy because they didn't get to play in a, in a full on game the World Cup dealer's choice uh, the World Cup is a huge deal but it's in December and November and, and a lot of people feel a bit like they can't quite get themselves up for it. I feel a little bit like that because, uh, you know, it's unheard of for club football to be on at the same time as the World Cup. I'm enjoying the World Cup, but I care more about Wrexham, if I'm perfectly honest. So, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it, but it's Wrexham games that really matter to me. Right, another another question. That was a long answer, wasn't it? Beg your pardon, just lean off the screen. This is classy. Richard R. Uh, again, about the trophy. What's the thinking behind not starting Palmer? Seems we're missing the chemistry as we're mulling. That was during the Farnborough game. Yeah, well, like I said, Palmer's had a couple of knocks lately as well, hasn't he? So I think Parkinson's just playing it safe. I think if Palmer was 100% firing on all cylinders, I think he'd have started that game. But, well, two things, really. Protect him, just give him 20 minutes, and what a 20 minutes it was. And secondly, I mean, Dolby's looking good. So maybe it's important to say to Dolby, mate, you, you did well in the last round. I'll give you a game in this round as well. You know, just to make sure that he understands that he's, you know, it's going to be very difficult for him to break up Mullen and Palmer, but that he is in the manager's thoughts. So I think there's an element of that as well. And, and very importantly, Parkinson felt that Dolby... And Mullen were good enough to win that game for us. So yeah, I, I, you know, I think which is also I think a, a reasonable um, notion. So yeah, uh, uh, all those reasons I would say really, I'd strongly expect Palmer to play at Coventry if he's fit. That's a game where you go you go in full strength. Uh, remember Farnborough, who played very well, were a league below us. 
Um, Pamela RWK says, Wrexham take on Coventry in the next round. What does this mean to us newbies? And Manxy11 did give, a, give the answer I was going to give, really. Uh, he said, so we have to play Coventry, a high league club, and hopefully knock them out to progress further in the cup. So, yeah, it's a bracket. If we win at Coventry, then there will be 32 teams left. And, again, there'll be a free draw like there was yesterday, and we could be drawn at home or away 50-50. We could, uh, it could be anybody. Uh, some competitions do have regional rounds, but the FA Cup doesn't, so we could have anyone. The FA Trophy does in the first round, so it was northern teams getting drawn together to try and save money on travel. And after that, it's open draw. Um, and um, Andrew Jones says it could be worse. At least it's not that far. I actually thought Coventry gone out of business. You never ever hear from them. Uh, don't a rugby union club play there? Yeah, Coventry. We tried to talk about this in Dragonheart on Wednesday, and I fully realised I probably should do my research first. <laughs> so I have now. Coventry are traditionally a, a, a decent sized club. In fact, when they got relegated from the Premier League, and I think it was 1991, they were the fourth longest standing member of the top division. They never threatened to finish high up, but they never were threatened with relegation until it happened. They had a stadium called Highfield Road that they played in for over 100 years. But soon after they went down, they had terrific financial problems and lots of fingers were pointed in different directions. Certainly the new owners were not popular. Um, I'm not going to say any more than that. I don't want to get sued. But you can read it all up. There's loads of stuff online. There's loads of campaigns against them. It's a similar story to us, except it went further in that the team got relegated again and again. So they dropped down to the League Two for the first time since the 1950s. They essentially, because of their financial problems, had to sell their own ground and pay rent to play in it and couldn't afford to. And so they spent a year playing in almost two years playing in Northampton which is a lower division club it's about 35 miles away so 70 mile round trip not nice um smaller ground although a lot of commentary fans refused to go because they were angry about what was happening and like I said that the club collapsed and, and, and went down the divisions uh, th then after that it's all very sort of patchy they went back there for a bit to Coventry they were allowed to play there then they couldn't they spent a season at Birmingham City's ground um they actually managed despite all these problems, to climb back up the leagues and get back into the championship, impressively. And last season was their first season back up. So they're an interesting team. We've been through a hell of a lot of problems. Um, they still don't own the grounds. Their new owner tried to buy the grounds, but Mike Ashby, who's a controversial figure in football, who used to own Newcastle until he sold it to the Saudi Arabian Investment Group, or Saudi Arabia, as I like to call it, um, He's bought the ground instead. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens there. They did actually have to play a home game away from the ground, but that was because they said the ground wasn't safe to play on. So they had to play a cup tie, which they were drawn at home at. They had to switch it and play at Burton Albion. So they have problems, but they came 17th last year. They're mid-table now. Um, they're a big club. It's interesting. It's going to be an interesting one. Uh, rugby played a part in it. Football clubs and rugby clubs sharing stadium never seems to work well at us. 10 years ago. Um, Wasps were the team that played there and they had financial issues as well. So yes, that's quite right. Um, JC Wille is looking now at um, Wille. Sorry, give it, some, give it some Wille, JC. 
looking at now questions about the ground. When's the construction starting, and will you comment it as beyond video when we finally get streaming? I'll take the second question first. Uh, the media team do the commentaries for streaming. The media team do the commentaries for Rexham Player, so it's it's quite possible there could be some crossover. Um, I think I'm liable to stay on Rexham Player. I love doing radio commentary. It's different. It's very different from video commentary. I definitely would not be able to do it the same way on streaming. Absolutely not. And I definitely wouldn't be able to bring Ask Wrexham into it. The trick of video commentary is not talk much. I was very reluctant on Saturday to put our commentary on the highlights. We we did it because it's better than having nothing. And because S4C were covering it, it meant we couldn't have our cameras up there with our commentator. So that's why the radio commentary was on it. But... People say lovely things about it. I'm so flattered and happy to hear that. But that's radio commentary is detailed and you never stop talking and you're trying to paint a picture of everything. TV commentary is the pictures do the work. You're identifying players or trying to point out little things. I have also got to say the setup on the other side is such that it's not easy to be looking at your phone to do the Ask Wrexham stuff. It's quite crowded up there. There's no seats or anything like that. And I've often found it tricky just to hold my team sheet and the microphone and, and do it and, and make notes for the highlights. So, to be honest, I certainly I don't think I would, but other members of the Wrexham player commentary team may well do on occasion. Che has done, so well, you may well do. Um, the question about the ground, there's another one as well. Um, which is Adam Matthews, how's construction going on the remodel of the four stand? Well, it hasn't started yet because the cop is still there, but we have the permissions in place. I think the key document to refer you to here is the episode of Welcome to Wrexham, where Rob and Ryan were getting incredibly frustrated as Sean Harvey explains local planning rules in Britain. Things move slowly here when there's bureaucrats involved. You've got a lot of people who just love making themselves important and adding rules and different things like that. Please don't get me wrong, a lot of those rules are absolutely necessary, but things do move slowly. So we finally now have permissions in place. We don't have all the funding in place because it's part of a wider bid to try and enhance the area of Wrexham around the racecourse. So we want that to be in. But we do have permission to demolish it, so I guess they've gone out and put it to tent now to see which company is going to demolish it. So it may well be the cop goes soon. But, yeah, I think, haven't they said they are anticipating a new stand for the season after next? So, yeah, don't hold your breath just yet. Um, it's going to be a slow process, I'm afraid. Oh, by the way, look at um, Anfield for an amazing example of redevelopment by the Fenway Sports Group, of course, and your North American fans will be familiar with that. They did this with their massive main stand that opened a couple of years ago, and now they're doing it again with the Anfield Road stand, where they basically keep using the stand and build a mega structure behind it. <laughs> it's looming over it. It's incredible. And then at the end of the season, they'll remove the stand and build in the the actual new stand. It's, it is amazing. Have a look at this good like, stop motion and drone uh, footage of both developments. It is quite something. We're not doing that. Although there is a cracking question here. Um, I'm going to go, Chris, I'll come back to you. Chip, beg your pardon. I got my eyesight's terrible. I'll come back to that in a second. Ryan says, when Wrexham were in the Premier League and decided to build a new 60k stadium, uh, if the pitch needs to move 150 metres in any direction to accommodate for a bigger stand, would it still be considered the same historic race course or would it be seen as race course to sequel? This time, it's personal. Well, I was, I prefer to think of it as race course pig in the city now that we've got the city status, but that's by the by. 
that's a brilliant question and I think individuals will see it differently. Um, Wrexham fans are really tied to the race course. I, I mentioned in Dragon Art a couple of weeks ago and Neil did the candlelit vigil that people had. I mean, the ground's infrastructure is antiquated and, and although Robin Ryan's done very well to improve it, I mean, part of the idea with the COP is that it will massively improve the infrastructure. The offices will go there because the stand wasn't built for the modern business model of a football club. But we're very attached to it. So any idea that we should move would go down exceptionally badly. Football fans are very territorial. We love our grounds. But... We also love shiny new things to play with. Uh, the example I'm thinking of is Tottenham uh, and also Athletic Bilbao in Spain who both had iconic stadia. I mean, Athletic Bilbao's was the seen as the great Spanish football ground. It was called La Catedral. It was just, well, that wasn't its official name, but everyone called it the cathedral. And I, I'm proud and thrilled to say it. One day, if you want, I'll talk about it. I actually went with my lad Ben to the very last game at La Catedral before they knocked it down. But they did what Tottenham did. They built an amazing new stadium right next... That's Lottie, my other co-host, Kat. Um, hi, Lottie. Destroying things. Expensive things. Good girl. She's that way. They, um, they basically, they built amazing stadia right next to the traditional sites of their grounds and you know it was all very sentimental after i went to the final game the day after ben and i went and we did they did a special tour like a farewell tour around the ground before it got knocked down so it was an amazing experience people were very proud i think of the club and uh, athletic bilbao were a very a team with very strong regional roots but the thing is that these stadia are astounding. The San Mamés, the Athletic one, and the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium are astonishingly good. And although there was a lot of emotion in Athletic Bilbao particularly, when they saw how amazing the new facility was, they tend to forget about it. So that's a really interesting question, that is. I think there's going to be natural resistance from fans to that. But when you get a lovely, shiny new stadium, sometimes, you know, not a lot of stadia that we have in Britain the new stadia look quite similar and they're not very exciting but if you were if you the new cop stand for example looks amazing and if you were to have a, a full development like that gosh I think that would impress I don't think we'd do that we got, there's no 150 meters to go unless you buy land off Glendour University which we could do I suppose but um hmm, it, uh, it's an interesting one I mean most old grounds in Britain are completely redeveloped now. I mean, none of the race course is the original race course, but we still see it as the race course, although it is in the same spot. Although, fab fact, it has the pitch has been turned 90 degrees. The pitch used to run from the turf, which is behind the Mould Road stands at the you know, Wayne's pub, as seen on TV. Um, that's behind the Mould Road stand at the cop end. And it used to be that was the changing room, and the players would come out, and it would be the penalty area there. And you're running across and the pitch would go across the cop. So the cop would have been a side stand. So it's all changed. My dad used to talk about how he used to stand on. There would be a couple of shelters on the sides of the pitch. And the rest of it, mostly, unless you paid extra for the seats, were just cinder banks that you would stand on. And they'd have those metal crush barriers. So just like I say, it's just cinders. And you stand on it and hold, you can hold on to the barrier if you want to. So uh, 
I think the problem with football fans, well, maybe not a problem, maybe the beauty of football fans is we're very inconsistent. We might hate the idea of change that happens and we embrace it. There's also things like West Ham going to the Olympic Stadium, having left their ancient and very historic Upton Park Stadium. Um, I mean, it went very badly, but when the results started to improve, all of a sudden they didn't seem to mind so much. That's football fans all over Chip's question is a beauty. With so many new Wrexham supporters jumping on the bandwagon, how much discomfort has there been among long-time supporters? Right. I don't think there's been a huge amount of discomfort. You do see the odd comment occasionally, but I've I've not heard anyone... I've certainly never heard anyone say to my face that they don't like the change. Because, let's be honest, the change is remarkable, wonderful and positive. So I've... You do see the odd person on social media, but very rare. I would say that, no, our football club potentially could go places it's never been before. This is already amazingly exciting. Um, so I know most fans are embracing it enthusiastically because <laughs> the new fans are the people who will spur the revolution. If Rob and Ryan come in and they can't get anyone else in to support the club, their venture will have failed, won't it? Uh, they don't want to just pump money in. They want to build a bigger club, and that's their idea. So, cracking question, but I really... Uh, any people who aren't happy with what's happening would be in a, a serious minority, because basically it's so exciting, this, you know? Um, Pamela RWK said we noticed a huge empty section in the Farnborough game, is that for the away fans? And also uh, Beer Bears Beer uh, asking a similar question, uh, said that they noticed a section of orange yellow seats covered, is that normal to have those out of commission? Always sunny in Arizona so I've heard um, well, why is there a bloke outside staring at my roof? Lottie's giving them the, the thousand yard stare, good girl, you, watch, you keep an eye on him looks a bit weird, anyway uh, he's doing the roof next door, and I think he might be looking at ours because a very good job done at ours. He might be stealing ideas, Lottie. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, that may be slightly relevant to the question. Um, what the heck was the question again? Uh, oh yeah, so the empty seats. Yeah, segregation. Um, football hooliganism is a problem. It sort of went away a bit in the nineties to an extent, and but it's back now. Uh, we've seen this at Wrexham, sadly. We've seen it on Welcome to Wrexham. Um, it's not as prevalent as in the 70s and 80s when it was quite horrific, but it happens, certainly happens, and it can happen and quite horribly and dramatically. Now, the thing is, of course, as well, that the police will judge whether a game is high risk or low risk, and sadly, the behaviour of a small group of idiots who claim to be Wrexham fans... Can I make it really clear... And it is maybe something that needs to be made clear because the, the Welcome to Docu Wrexham documentary, I thought one of the great strengths of it was it tried to be even-handed, which you wouldn't expect really, would you, when it's essentially made by Wrexham in a way. But it was very even-handed and it, 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 I think, very reasonably portrayed hooligans as a, a type of person that goes to a game rather than straight out condemning them. So it let the viewer make their own mind up. But, but I, I'll come straight out and condemn them. There's no place for them uh, in football. Um, if you want to fight, do it on your own time, in your own turf. Don't come to the football and, and spread violence. The You're not a fan if you come to fight for the town's honour or the club's honour because the football club does not want you behaving like that. When there is violence, Wrexham will get fined. If there is 
if there are flares thrown on the pitch, Wrexham get fined. If football fans will go to grounds and smash up away seats, you know, in the, in the away team's ground, yeah, you have to pay for those then. You know, it's just idiotic and and and, and it just goes round and round and round. It's it's moronic. All you're doing is hurting the club. And those empty seats are an example of that. Um, clearly, and I, I understand it totally, the local police in their plans for the club have to say well we need to keep a sort of buffer zone between away fans and Wrexham fans in case there is trouble and um, other clubs I've been to don't really have that I've been to games at Anfield where there's like that weird netting that you see on the seats there's like three seats taken out and then you're next to the other side's fans um, but and the World Cup doesn't seem to have much segregation or if it does not you know, not very clear but, but yeah you know, as you saw in the documentary, in the Torquay game, and Robin Ryan came over, people were throwing bottles at the Torquay fans. So you can't let them go near them. It's not just they can't sit by them. So that bit behind the goal, it's partly, you know, put people out of throwing range. It's a shame. And like I said, hooligans cost football clubs money, and we don't want to be associated with them. And the truth of the matter is, there's another example of it. We could have sold that ground out completely. We could have people on every single seat. But we can't because the police insist there have to be segregation zones, and that's Hooligan's fault, not the police's. Um, right, Roy Cuffin. Here's an interesting question about tickets. Um, he's had to, there's been a lot of train strikes, of course, in Britain. Yet another game that he was missing, and he was wondering if the club will bring in a season ticket resale scheme, so that when he can't get to a game, he can he can sell it on. Uh, his ticket. Well, that's a lovely idea. And I, I must emphasize before I say any more, I have no official line on this at all. I'm not an insider on ticketing. What I will say, Roy, though, is that while that's an excellent idea and a lot of the big clubs do it, the big challenge Wrexham are facing is we are scaling up incredibly quickly. The club have been clear in saying it's it's unheard of the way we are scaling up. And you can't do everything at once. So, you know, there have been some flaws with the ticketing, which hopefully are getting sorted now. But I think until everyone's confident that just the basic ticketing setup is spot on and perfect, I doubt if they'll move on to that. It might be well be something on the horizon once they feel they've, they can cope with that surge in demand. Um, but like I said, that's not an official word. It's just me trying to work out what's going on. Um, Brandt said he's happy about the supporters' noise in the commentary. And says, are the chants listed anywhere online or do the supporters just learn by listening? What a great question. And I'm ashamed to say, Brandt, I meant to look that up and I haven't. If you if you search Wrexham chants on Google, you will find stuff. You have to watch out. Some, some websites try to gather fans' chants. And quite frankly, um, sometimes you think, never heard that. But yeah, if you look around, you'll find them. There's obviously the, the Wrexham Lager, Feed Me Till I Want No More, which is to the tune of Men of Harlech. That's very popular. Um, there's a few, aren't there, really? Specific Wrexham ones. There was a one that they, that they still sing about 1990s players. Marriott rolls the ball to Hardy. and So look at that one, Marriott Hardy, Peter Ward, and you'll find that. Uh, but a lot of football fans do the generics chanting that other clubs do as well and just switch it around for their names, uh, you know, the names of their players. So have, have a look, I would say, and come back to me if you find any good ones. And I'll try to have a look and see what I can find as well. Um, oh, um, 
I mean, I don't know if you hear them singing E-I-E-I-O, up the football league we go. Well, I always remember that really was one that everyone loved singing in 1993 when Wrexham got promoted from League 2 to League 1. And it's one that people still sing. I think that was one of those moments where it lodges in fans' minds and it became, you know, the other clubs sing it, but it became associated with Wrexham a bit, yeah? Um... James says, why did Parky start McElindon on the right when he doesn't, you know, hasn't got a very strong right foot? Well, he, you know, he, he's he had a lot of injuries on the right-hand side, firstly. So if, if you can't pick all Johnson or Hosanna or Ford for a full 90, McElindon is your bet, I would say. Um, he's able to play in that role. Um, yeah, there were a couple of times he could have maybe used his right foot to cross it in. You're quite right. Yeah, and, and he chose not to. Uh, but I think Parkinson is, is likes McIlinden. I think he sees him as a, a very so- safe pair of hands and a player who can fill in a lot of different positions. So I don't think he has any real fear in using him in those sort of circumstances. Bustails NE, what is the strangest job you've ever had? Now, brace yourselves. Mine was shaving a dolphin at the local sea life centre. Dolphins don't have hair, I hear you say. That shows what a great job us dolphin shavers are doing behind the scenes. Lottie? What a strange man. Okay. Let's try and give him an answer, shall we? What do you think, Lot? Um, I, was a, I, I was a lecturer in sugar beet technology at MIT. Fair enough? Um... I was about to make up stuff for the other Wrexham player commentators, but the first thing that occurred in my hand was Neil slaughters his own pigs. That's true. So maybe, maybe I shouldn't bother. I don't know. Um, Andy Parkinson is a nuclear scientist. Che Long um, it used to be the curator of Amelda Marcos's shoe collection, uh, but they sold it to the Smithsonian. And Bill Long is an extremely popular Spice Girls tribute act. What he can do with lipstick, a wig and mirrors is astounding. Trust me. And I think we've got one more. Have we, Lolo? Oh, she's gone. Didn't like that question. Sorry, Bus Tales any. Um, when Rexon make the FA Cup finals, will I invite Paul Hollywood as a guest, uh, guest judge on the halftime hot plate podcast podcast oh, i like that from kilted footy fan and ryan gayer says that's the question we want answers um well if he's if he's good enough yeah but i'm i'm a bit picky who i share a pipe with I, I wouldn't that be funny yeah let's do it let's do it let's do it and then i'll invite jamie oliver and when he turns up turn him away and say sorry mate it's okay all right that was a treat i enjoyed doing that I hope you enjoyed it too. We'll be back next week and more Ask Wrexham. Keep them coming in. I absolutely adore the Ask Wrexham stuff. So, goodbye chaps. I'm Mark Griffiths from Wrexham AFC.